And it's Every Playlist Tells a Story with Todd. I'm Jimmy. And uh, another week of another song and talking stuff. How you doing, Jim? Listen to the wind blow out here, man. It is uh, early February, late January breeze. It's solid winds out of the west. And it sucks. Yeah, I felt bad for the guys. You got some construction going on. Somebody's uh-huh. adding a room onto one of the houses out yep. here in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Ooh, man. Yeah, it's got to be dressed for that. Cold, cold day. But we can't complain because I've seen what's going on in Chicago and I've seen oh, what's going on in New York it's City. It's ridiculous. And they are, they are snow blind. Oh, yeah. As Sabbath would yeah. say. Yeah. Yep. I, 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 different I, different kind of snow blind. <laughs> to be. It, oh, really? Hey. Oh, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, goodness. Hey, before we get started, same as always. Spotify for the playlist of songs, social media stuff. We're still floating at that 10, 10 uh, ratings on the Apple. So I mean, if, you're, if you're listening to us on Apple. This one needs to go to 11. Just, just, just pause it. Just right now. Just dig right over there. Scroll, Find the description. Scroll up at the bottom there. Just click that five star. We'll wait. Get us to 11. Like Spinal Tap. That's right. We want, we want, you got to get this amp to 11. That's right. Because we want to go one louder. One louder. That's right. That's right. Where can you go? That's right. Fun stuff for me this week on my little opening notes. I watched a great documentary. Great. I enjoyed it. It's called Heavy Metal Road Dog. It was on Amazon. Follows the life of a tour manager for a, uh, it's a female Iron Maiden tribute band called the Iron Maidens. Kind of seen them. Talk to him. And he just kind of described kind of what his days are like and what he does and, you know, his responsibilities for the band and how he does this and how he does that. It was, for me, it was a, it was a good insight because one of, you know, when I was out doing shows, one of the hardest things for me to explain is, you know, if somebody says, hey, what do you do in a normal day? And there are no normal days. Every day is just crazy. And, you know. It's, yeah, you guys got in great detail yeah. there with Corey. Uh, and then this guy had probably a lot more freedoms i guess to run around and you know like i don't drink when i'm on the road especially during work hours i might have a drink afterwards or whatever but for the most part it's it's really just dealing with whatever comes up you know you've got your set schedule like we talked about with Corey. your days is your set schedule and then it's just kind of putting out the fires along the way so for me this was an interesting insight to the world of what a tour manager does and all the different hats he wears and i mean he does everything from making sure the band gets where they're going to luggage detail to hotels to going. I mean, it was, it was crazy, but it was a fun little show. I mean, he does just a ton of stuff where it's a ton of hats. Probably a little smaller gigs. I'm guessing. Than what yeah. It looked like with. they were playing some decent sized clubs. I mean, they had, you know, the live stuff they showed had some pretty cool footage of, you know, big rooms and, you know, they're not, I don't think they're playing arenas, but you know, theater like, yeah. style. Yeah. And I it was you. a little different too, because this was all done overseas. Okay. So it was a little, you know, I think they were in Belgium and in some places like that. So, Finland? I don't know if they made it to Finland. <laughs> Might have. <laughs> right. 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 Okay. But, uh, but yeah, that was, a, that was a cool watch for me. So if you're looking for something interesting to get some insight on some of that stuff, that was kind of a neat little show. As far as my TikTok find of the week, stumbled across a, at Nerd Halen, N-E-R-D-H-A-L-E-N. Pretty much Van Halen cover band dressed up as nerds. I don't know what it just entertained me when I saw it. So that's that's my find this week. I, I hope that they the, the the portion you showed me they were analyzing the lyrics in the middle yep. of the song of yep. Panama. Yep. About you know it sounded great until I used the word ain't, <laughs> and that really bothered them that they used a, a word that's not proper. Right. Yeah. And then the, but then they got back into the song. Right. You know, yeah. In the middle of that argument. Yep. So, um, yeah, I like that edge there. Yeah, it, always interesting to see a, a good sounding cover band with a different kind of take on things. So, like I said, that was Nerd Halen's entertaining from, from my week on the TikTok. And then I've got a 50-year-old birthday album week for this week, or for February 10th coming up uh, a couple of days. February 10th, 1971, Carol King Tapestry record. 
I remember that well. My, my buddies that lived across the street, their mom was always had that in front of her album stack there yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah. So I remember that album cover very well. well. And was, I've always known it as one of the best-selling records of kind of all time. It's one of those records that I've just always known to be one of those just ridiculously popular records for the time. And There's a lot of hits on that album. A lot of hits. Um I mean, and there's stuff like that. I feel the earth move, and as soon as I read the title, you know, I obviously went and listened to it, but like hearing the song, I was like, okay, I remember this song. There was a song called It's Too Late, which I remembered. You've got a friend, and of course, you make me feel like a natural woman, which I think was the one that was probably the biggest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's been covered a few times. Yeah. yeah but yeah. yeah, big song. Huge, huge record. So, and it's, and like I told you earlier, when I listened, I went through and listened to it, it it's one of those albums that hearing it, it doesn't really point to a specific memory, but it sounds like what the soundtrack to my childhood would sound yeah, like. Sounds of the 70s. Yeah, there. I mean, it was just, it's just a, everything about that, I don't know, piano, and there's kind of some jazzy in there. There's, oh, there was some like New Orleans kind of stuff, feel to some of the stuff. It was just, it was a cool listen. Yeah, so. singer-songwriter type. Yeah, singer-songwriter stuff. That was big, but you know, her and James, James Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. That's that, those are my notes for the week. What do you got? Well, I saw our poor former front man of Ale- of Iron Maiden. Yes, I saw him on Facebook. I forget what it was called. It was kind of like a GoFundMe okay. uh, on Facebook. I, I'm I'm a fan of one of the. Well, I, I on Facebook you could um, like like a page, a right, fan yeah, page. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, there's an Iron Maiden fan page out there that I follow, and they were raising. They need to raise twenty thousand uh, pounds, you know, dollars, England dollars, uh, right. to so Paul Diano, the first singer of Iron Maiden, who's on the first two albums. Well, I mean, he sung. He's one of the many singers, but he's the one that sung on the first two Iron Maiden albums. Is needing knee surgery, long overdue knee surgery. Heavy fella, if I remember uh, correctly. Yeah, he's put on a lot of weight since those yeah. days. He was a big guy back then, but then he. Yeah, he kind of let himself go. So, yeah, the knee is needing replaced, and he needs 20,000 pounds to do it. Awfully expensive. He doesn't have insurance, obviously. Right. So I, was, I kept thinking, where the hell is Steve Harris, you know? Or is he not or is he not taking care of his boys? Yeah, I don't know. When he left the band, I don't remember, was it amicable split, or was he thrown out, or... I don't remember... I've watched it. several documentaries on Iron Maiden. I don't remember being a lot of drama with it. Right. I think Steve Harris is just the boss, and right. he saw Dickinson. He saw the next uh, next, next level next of level, Iron Maiden, yeah. and I don't think it had a whole lot to do with huh. Diano. I, I mean, and, he was starting to kind of waver. He still kind of did stuff, didn't he? I mean, it seems like in the last 10, 15 years, oh, I, yeah. every now and then I'd see something. he's still out touring or doing he's something. He's had solo projects. Yeah, yeah. You remember that song, On the, On the Wings of Life? Oh, you're the one that played it for me, actually. Did I really? On the wings of life. I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah, well, yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, he's still a recording artist. Okay, he still yeah. like he still tours. I mean, that's his livelihood. Yeah, I okay. think he just he came at the point where he got you know axed from Iron Maiden. It was uh, on shaky ground just because of reliability issues, I guess. Right. I don't know. Steve Harris has got like. You gotta bring your A game all the time to I be. What kind of royalties he gets from those first two records he was on? Well, at I least wonder... you know, as a you know a musician, he gets something, but obviously not that much. Yeah, I mean, if because you got to think what there's five guys in the band, so there's twenty percent everybody. But yeah. then Steve Harris is the man, so right. You got to wonder if he gets more for songwriting and music, right? You know, composing Trademark. and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, he definitely is the, the hmm. bread maker. I'm sure he pays Bruce plenty to oh, sure. just keep him in the in the fold. Yeah, but uh, it seems like he would have twenty thousand pounds. Just you know, he could just shoot over the just Paul, laying around. Just Paul's doctor, you yeah. know, pay for that knee. Be a nice thing to do. I mean, he's part of the legacy of Iron Maiden. Right, yeah. So yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. Another thing, I, I caught a show last night. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Alan Tudyk. Yeah, most of you guys out there will know him as Steve the Pirate on Dodgeball. Yep. I think he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. The only reason I turned in or tuned into this, it was on the sci-fi channel. It's called Resident Alien. All right. I just saw the first episode. Uh, he's basically, um, this alien was setting up to where he was going to kill the human race. 
he had to drop something off. I don't know if it was a beacon or what the heck it was. I haven't quite, I got to go back and watch it, but it like he ran into some issues with a spaceship and the beacon fell off and he landed on earth. His mission was to go find this beacon. Well, he happens to come across this town in Colorado. He's in the mountain range here. Right. Is forced to take on the shape of a human. So he abducts a human being, Alan, and um, becomes him. You know, he's now everybody sees him as him, uh, but he knows nothing about the human race, nothing about characteristics or nothing, kind of a fish out of the water. Yeah. So he's somehow got, it's it's interesting because he gets right into the fold of this town immediately, and he has to figure out how to act human on the fly. Oh, wow. And it's just the way Alan acts in this. He, he's, he's just is a great actor. Okay. Uh, the only one that, that knows he's not human is this kid. This like the eleven year old kid could see him exactly for what he is. Nobody right. else. No, everybody else sees him as a human being, except this one kid. So that's kind of the dangler there. It's like, how's this kid know he's an alien? Nobody else knows it in this well, town. I've always understood. I mean, I've always heard the stories. I guess that you know. Kids are so, I don't know, unpolluted with everything at that age that they see through and see the truth in things. I've always heard stories about, you know, kids seeing ghosts or things like that. Oh, yeah. You know, and then it's, you know, it's kind of like the, I don't know, just your belief system as you grow up and things kind of pollute your thoughts, stuff like that goes away. It's kind of like the the bell in, oh, what's the Polar Express? Oh, yeah. When you're a kid, you can hear the bell ringing. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, it stops ringing for you. So maybe that's, that's interesting to bring that up because on Netflix, I don't know if you get Netflix, but there's a, there's a series, a Netflix series called, I think it's Beyond Death, like what happens after you die. I think I've seen that listed on there, yeah. There's, a, there, there's an episode about reincarnation, and there's a kid that lives on the, on the west side of Evansville that was kid, on that show. I saw something on the news one night about, somebody from around here was featured on that show. Yeah. He has memories of being a kid that lived in Brooklyn and died, uh, died in 2005. Remembers his parents, remembers his playground. Uh, some professor from university of Virginia flew into Evansville to interview this kid and was pointing out all the information, you know, like, you know, trying to get, took all the information the mom shared Found the kid that died at that point oh, in time. Found the, the parent, pictures of the parents. Found the playground he's talking about. He pointed it all out without yeah. being led, you know, or, you know. Spooky shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. So it, and there are some kids out there that remember past lives, apparently. Yeah. Before. Yeah. And, as, and they say as time, they're like one of them had grown up as a teenager. And he doesn't remember as much as he did just because, you know, life goes on. It's kind of like all them kids from It when they all moved away. And It too, none of them remembered it. As soon as they left town, kind <clears> of so went like away. That's but, right. Yeah. Yeah. Pennywise. So, yeah, a couple of interesting things going yeah. on this week. Good stuff. Nothing much, you know, not, nothing outside to do, so. Yeah, it's, uh, I just got to, you know, I'm still, I'm in between all these shows now. I'm starting to actually watch shows, which means it's getting pretty boring because right, I don't yeah. watch shows. I Usually I'm yeah. on YouTube, which, right. by the way, I heard a great David Lee Roth um uh, you know, now I think about it, who was, um, oh my God, his name, forget, um, he sung that song, Liar, Black Flag Singer. Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins. He's the one that brought this up. He was talking, he was on one of his rants, you know, he's got mm-hmm. many rants, but he said that he quoted David Lee Roth saying, money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a boat big enough where you can cruise up right next to it. Nice. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's so Roth. And i tell you what, that. That Henry Rollins stuff in the 90s, he used to do a bunch of spoken word records, and I can't even remember it. I have to, I'd have to go look it up. But he did a great a great little spiel on Black Sabbath on one of those. Okay. And it was fantastic. I mean, it was just like how Black Sabbath saved his life or something like that. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's worth looking up because it's just he's so just passionate about it and just over the top, and you know he's all muscle-bound and all that stuff. And I just remember hearing that. And it's been years since I've thought about it and looked it up. I'd have, I'll have to go look it up again. But, yeah, I just remember he always did a great Black Sabbath little monologue about just how great they were. My favorite was when he talked about how he got going as a singer when he was working at a – it was a – it was a 
Baskin Robbins ice cream store his boss how his boss played a major role in him going on to be a singer really and it was like a life lesson type thing it was huh. pretty pretty intense but everything is with him oh sure yeah intense is a good word to describe how he delivers his stuff yeah he's he's pretty cool that's awesome yeah all right well what do you think let's get into it get into it i think you got top of the inning here i'm gonna go first my song this week is by a group called underworld the song is called cowgirl from the album dub no bass with my head man came out in 1994 say that again dub no bass with my head man all one word wow yeah good stuff to get into it here, I'm going to go back to the early 90s where my love of dance, techno, or as I like to call it, disco, is born. Mm. I, anything, I call it disco. You, you, really? You can just, yeah, anything I, so, like this, anything dance, electronic, that whole genre, to me, it's all disco. Even you throw the Bee Gees right in with the Prodigy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the Led Zeppelin in with Rage Against the Machine. It's all no, rock and no, roll. I wouldn't. Oh, it's a, I would not it's do rock that. And roll. It's rock and roll. Oh, I, I Again, put, this is all disco to me. It's just put a, Twisted Sister in with Chuck Berry, for that matter. Well, yeah. You know, it's rock and roll. Yeah. Ah, you got to divide that stuff up. Even metal oh. has subgenres. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all rock. Uh, okay. But your world. <laughs> all right. So, disco. So, back in the early 90s, I, when I was working at a record store, there was some compilation tape. And this is kind of the beginning of this whole electronic... Like a promo tape. Yeah, a promo thing. Yeah. And it had some song on it by... I don't even remember who it was by, but it was... Oh, it was the operatic classical piece, the Carmini Burana or something like that by Orff. I'm probably saying it wrong. But if you know it, if you hear it, it's a classic opera sounding thing. Something you'd hear in a, a Philharmonic orchestra. You, if you heard it, you'd know it. Okay. But there was some techno song that used that sample at the beginning and went into the beat. And I think it was even, it might've even been, what was the, oh shit, basic instinct. I think it might've even been in some bar scene in that movie. The Sharon Stone movie. Yeah. The Sharon Stone movie. Whew, man. That a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it's sticking in my head. It was in that, but I remember having this promo cassette and having that song and loving it just because it was so different to what I'd been listening to, which at the time would have been, 80s Hollywood hairband rock and roll stuff. Primarily. Faster Pussycat. Faster Pussycat, Tora Tora, Skid Row. <laughs> right. Junkyard. Junkyard, Four Horsemen. All right. All that good stuff. Yeah. But I remember looking for this song a little while later, trying to find it on CD or something, and not being able to find it. And I think the rumor was there was some licensing thing. It was like a sample without the proper licensing. And so it, you know. That's when basically they, disappeared. That's when licensing. That was after the Beastie Boys got away with it. Huh? I I don't remember. I so guess so. Start figuring yeah. out there's money in it. Yeah. So yeah. so the rumor was this song was pulled due to licensing issues, and I've never been able to find it since. But I it, it's one of those things too where I have a very fond memory of what the song was in my head. Mm -hmm. And anytime I look it up and I find you know there's all kinds of different remixes and versions of it that just aren't the same they're just different and i sometimes wonder am i remembering it correctly wow am, am i really quest, huh? am i really playing it up to being as if i heard it today and i heard the exact same version would it live up to what my memory of it would be because i've done that with other stuff you listen to a song and you thought was great when you were 18 years old and you listen to it again you're like oh geez what the the hell was i thinking yeah you know yeah so, oh yeah I've got my... so anyway back in the early 90s that's that's when i that's the song i credit with kind of kicking off my disco run uh, i'm gonna jump up to 1995 and uh chemical brothers had a record exit planet dust was released that hooked me 97 we get the prodigy firestarter what i like about them was they kind of added more of a rock feel there was more of a electric guitar component to it yeah, over that, top of it. A '97 album is fantastic. Yeah, that, that's uh, what was that? Fan of the Land, bunch of Fat of Land, yeah, front, bunch yeah, of front to back has a great album. Yeah, great record. Um, then go to 2010, where I stumbled across artist named Skrillex and the Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites EP. I've, I've heard of Skrillex. That 
that my that scary monster song blew my mind. Really? Oh, I mean, I, it affected me the way this underworld record affected me back in '94. It was just, I what is this? I've never heard this. I've never stopped loving it. I just, I, I can let's do it anytime. It just, hmm. so. you got to do an episode on that. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure I'll get there. And what I, and the, 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 my what I wrote down in my notes here is, especially about that Skrillex, is it's to me it's beautiful chaos. It is it is very aggressive. It is very abrasive. But I hear a, I don't. There's something comforting to it to me. I mean this, that's the kind of and I've talked about it before. I think this is the kind of shit that relaxes me with everything going on in it. It just kind of, I don't know what it is. Does it fall in that trance thing I talked about? Kind of. Well, it's, it's. I would not call trance music disco. It's not really trance. It's more of a disco thing. I mean, because it's, it's got, you know, it's got that whole bass drop, you know, the whole build up thing. And then that tempo change bass drop. That mountain climbing. Yeah. Yep. It's got all that in there. So, but back in 1994, Underworld releases this stuff, no bass with my head, and I am on board 100%. This is, in the 90s, like I said, going from listening to Primarily Rock to this, it was like, this is something I've never heard before, and I, I love, and I'm not even sure why I loved it at the time. It was just so different that it reeled me in. The whole Dub No Bass With My Head Man record, I, I love the whole thing. I love everything about it. I love it top to bottom, start to finish. And then it was it was tough for me to pick a song because there's a couple records I like by him. So this this was just I really just kind of had to throw a dart at dartboard and whatever song I lit I landed on was the one I was going to do because there's just again there's so many different songs by them and it's this record compared to like the next record and the record after that everything's got such a different feel to it. This is a very really they didn't uh... this is a very basic kind of. Lack of a better term to describe it, kind of a basic record. Early generation. But then the next record kind of goes, a, shifts a little bit, but does the same thing. I mean, it, it's an evolution. I don't know. Okay. So to talk about Underworld, just run through a few things here. Genre on the internet is got them listed as progressive house again. Yeah. You can call it progressive house, techno, trance, dance. It's all disco to me, baby. <laughs> I mean that electric. When I first start hearing that that style of music at trance house, yeah, electronic, yeah, I always felt like it was industrial music, like Skinny Puppy, the yeah. late '80s type, and it's turned into disco. Yeah, that's the way I always yeah. felt about it. Right, but it, like, but like Skinny Puppy and Ministry and those bands. I mean, they had a lot more. They were more of a rock band kind of foundation. Right, heavy guitars, but so this, this kind of stuff turned into a dance song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and leave the guitars out of it. Yep. Kind of that feel. According to Slant Magazine, this song is number 30 on its 100 best, dan- best dance songs list. The quote I got from that website was, The druggy, detached, dystopian. This dirty epic slinks towards you, big and towering, like some Frankensteinian monster with legs made of digital funk, arms stitched together from stringy electronic beats, and a bobbing head that spits out sinister dictates. It's the nothing from the never-ending story. The Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man has imagined my rage against the machine. It seduces you with its invisibility and threatens erasure with its laser-guided eye. Once it's done with you and disappears into the shimmering horizon, you may indeed feel pulverized, too weak to charge after it. Legs made of disco funk? Is that what you said? Legs made of digital funk. Digital funk. Well, I can't imagine making, like, okay, I gotta make legs... Out of digital funk. What's that going to look like? Funky. You know, I, I did mention that if I owned an ice cream truck, like a neighborhood ice cream yes. truck, I would pick this song. This would be the and song. I, I would retheme the ice cream truck. Right. And I always wanted like a classic 50s style, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the the open window on the side right. of, the, yep. of the little mini. A little side lifts up. Yeah. But, yeah. but now, you know, we're... We're gonna have like it's gonna be be like a DJ booth, and there's gonna be yeah. you know strobe lights coming out of the booth and right. lights and maybe powder cannons, you know, shooting yes. out like you know yellow green, you know, those, yeah, yeah, you know, those kind of parties. Um, yeah, it, it's that that that'll get the same attention. I like the image of that. 
Yeah, I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. All the rave kids come running out. When I retire, I think it's I think it's my plan. Okay. I'll spend the last Did, twenty years of my life doing that. Disco ice cream. Dis, disco ice cream. There you go. Well, I would. I don't know if I go disco. I still can't get over that calling it disco because that's to me that's seventies. Yeah, but I just I would have been my own unique name, and it would be kind of like this dubstep, whatever. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! And the ice cream be named after it too. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Dubstep rebrand all the flavors, right? Yep. Yeah, trans vanilla, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a good ice cream name that Jimmy can uh, incorporate into his menu hey, board, that's our question. Please that, send it in. Yeah, yeah, dubstep chocolate. You know, <laughs> the possibilities are endless. Oh, oh, I'm trying to base drop, base butternut. Base. Butter, yeah, exactly. Butterscotch. Yeah, butterscotch. Yeah, base drop butterscotch. Yeah, see, we could talk about this all day. We could. So, like I said, this thing ranked number thirty of the all-time dance songs on this uh, this website listing, coming in at thirty-one, just behind the Underworld Cowgirl was uh, Salt and Pepper Push It. Oh wow! Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, big song. And uh, the song number twenty-nine in front of it, Janet Jackson, The Pleasure Principle. Wow, we're in the prime of uh, yeah. '90s here. This is this is happening. Number one on the list, Donna Summer. I feel love. And as soon as I read that title, I can hear it in my head because I know it's been oh yeah, sampled yeah, yeah it's coming back to me times. now. Yeah, yeah. Talk about early electronic yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. Now you're talking more more disco in the traditional sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. As far as the dub no bass with my head, uh, dub no bass with my head record. It's the third studio album by Underworld. It's the first album after there was an 80s version of the band that made the transition from synth pop to techno and progressive house, full of playful and deranged songs. The lyrics are poetic, hypnotic, and whispered. What I like about the vocals on this record and in these songs is a lot of them are mixing kind of normal songwriting, how you'd write lyrics to a song. Mm -hmm. But they also use a lot of samples and loops and... uh, what I found on the internet was they use found mat- use samples from found material from overheard conversations, answering machine recordings, and things like that. Nothing was out of bounds. It was take it and use it, and I mean inspiration from every direction. Yeah, there's no focus. The great thing about a song like this is that you can write five lines of of lyrics. Oh yeah, and that's your song. Yeah. Throughout, I mean, you just repeat each line fifty times. Right. Yeah. Just put it in the loop. Yeah, it's it just, put it in the loop. It becomes more of a instrumental part than it does a vocal in the traditional sense. Yeah, that's and that's the basis. It's, it's you know, you yeah. talk about voicemails and stuff like that. I right. Mean, that's the stuff you put on. That's the paint you put on the uh, on the picture. Yep. You know, add color to it. I love, uh, and a lot of these songs, and there's some other songs too, but there's a slow build of this song where it's just like you get a layer and it runs through the, you know, Four, the four beats or the eight beats or whatever. And then there's another layer kind of added on top of it. And it just kind of keeps building and building and building slowly. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it takes eight minutes to get to the end of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another thing I dug about this, this particular song is there's a, for lack of a better term, guitar solo made out of electronic blips and bleeps. That's the point where I knew I had to get an ice cream truck. Yeah. When I heard that, yeah. I was like, if this was going down the street, that would get everybody's attention. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I I love how it's so traditional in kind of a construction sense, but it's different in the fact of what it's using to create those parts. There's an evolution to this song of utilizing the vocals on the track versus the earlier stuff being just instrumental. Like I said, you know, some of the earlier stuff, the the Chemical Brothers, there was a little bit of vocal sampling on there. This is kind of the first band in this kind of weird disco genre for me that wasn't just all instrumental it was it was there were actual vocals because normally a lot of that dance stuff from early on was just music right you know all instrumental there wasn't a lot to it vocally wise vocal wise still kind of that way yeah and uh, as odd as it sounds when i listen to this band there are a lot of parallels to me i hear a lot of pink floyd and not necessarily this song but some of the other stuff well, like metal or something like that. Yeah, just a lot of kind of a weird experimentation. Animals sense album. to it. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot oh, of Pink yeah. Floyd influence in the songs I hear. 
And then uh, the other note I have on this is there is a song called Rez, R-E-Z, that was a non-album track. And then going through and looking up a bunch of the live stuff and just watching that as I was doing this, the song Rez is very similar to this Cowgirl song. And in a lot of, I guess, live instances, they were kind of put together like a medley. So it would start with Rez, and then the Cowgirl would be in the middle of it, and then Rez would end. But the songs are very similar. So in my head, it's one of those things where they did a song, but then over time, the song evolved, and it doesn't stay the same. And I think I'll talk about that again later, but I love the idea of... The transitions. I love the idea of, hey, we made a song, and here it is. But then as time goes by, and we've seen it, man. You you hear some classic songs, some bands played a billion times, and all of a sudden they're doing a different guitar progression to it, or they're playing it slower or doing something different with it. Just because it's, I I love the idea of that, of of having that song and it evolving over time and becoming new and improved Mach two, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So that's, that's a cool idea to me. I think it was the whole idea behind the MTV unplugged with a lot of that. Yeah. Could have. Yeah. Just to bring a different angle to the song. Yep. Underworld's next album Came out in 96, called Second Toughest in the Infants. Got them some commercial success. There was a movie, remember Train Spotting? Oh, yeah. I never saw it, but. Yeah, yeah. a lot of great music on that. Yeah, they had a song called Born Slippy that was in it. Uh, that was, I think that's what kind of helped lead them to some critical or commercial success. Okay. As with a lot of this type of music, there is a ton of remixes. I mean, there's that Born Slippy song. I think there's. If I had to guess, 25 different versions of it. Oh, geez. Of just being redone. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of these songs just get remixed and redone. So tons of content. If if you hear a song by one of these artists that you dig, there's a million different ways to listen to it. Uh, they do have a lot of compilation work, a lot of live content. They put out a ton of single releases. What I find interesting about them, and not necessarily this particular record, but this the second toughest and the infants and then further on, there are songs that I will hear that over time I've developed in my head, like a guitar distorted chugga 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 riff. Yeah, you're famous. That I'll hear for that. a song. I love the chugga chugga. Um, but I'll hear a song and be like, man, that would be perfect just overlaying it. So I've started kind of hearing it in my head when I'm listening to the music now. I've kind of added my own layer to the song as it's playing. Gotcha. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I saw a guy on YouTube that did a, Acoustic set of Hey Ya. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Outcast. Yeah, Outcast. Fantastic. Right. Never really thought of it that way, but yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. You can strip a song down and oh, yeah. just add it and you know, give it another angle to it. Yep. As far as the band Underworld, some quick notes on them. Uh, 1975, Carl Hyde and Rick Smith form a band called Screen Gems, influenced by the works of the band Kraftwerk. Remember them? Kraftwerk? I know they're a Hall of Fame band, but they're for my time. Influenced by Kraftwerk and Reggae, it says. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, after that, uh, they were joined by a bass player, a drummer, and a keyboardist, formed a band called Freur, F-R-E-U-R, Freur. Sure, it's not Autobahn from uh, the Big Lebowski. 1986, that, uh, that lineup disbanded. 1987, formed Underworld named after the 1985 horror film that was scored by the band they were in for F R E U R. I'm, I'm, I have no idea how to even for for F R E U R through or free or Fuhrer. I, I guess so like, like Adolf Hitler maybe? was the Fuhrer, the leader, maybe German, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so in 1987, they changed the name to underworld. This is the lineup. It's known as MK one. So I'm guessing Mach one. That could be short for that. Could be. Uh, they performed as a funk and synth pop band and recorded two albums between 1988 and 89. 1990, they disbanded. Uh, that version of the band ended after a 1989 tour supporting the Eurythmics. Uh, yeah, Annie were... Lennox, big yeah, band there. Yep. Love is a Stranger. Oh, what's what's the guy's name in Eurythmics? Stewart, uh, Tony Stewart. Yeah. Tony Stewart? No, it's, was he an NASCAR racer? I think that we did after he got out of your ethnics, yeah. Stewart is right. Stewart's, not, I can't remember. It's not Tony, though. That guy's incredible. That guy is one of those 
you know, we talk about musical prodigy. Where oh, yeah, people. he's one did that all the music. That dude's crazy. Yeah. He's good, yeah. All right, so 1989, they go on tour, supporting Eurythmics, break up in 90. The two gentlemen, Carl Hyde and Rick Smith, they recruited DJ Darren Emerson, and this trio lineup is known as MK2 of Underworld. So Mach okay. 2. Mach 2. Yep. Like Deep Purple. Yep. These guys are known for their visual style and dynamic live performances. They have been known to influence a wider range of artists, and there was even a listing that they've uh, influenced video game composers. I didn't know that was such a thing. I guess so you got to have video game. I mean, you need a soundtrack. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with those a lot of those nineties, you know, like Doom. Yeah. I, I I listened to a lot of John Denver when I was playing Doom. Right. And I need music. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a good offset to slaughtering all these demons. Sure. Okay. Yeah, even so. keel. Keeps you even. Yeah, music and video games are hand in hand now. Well, Underworld were uh, featured in the 2012 Summer Olympics in London. They were chosen to direct the music for the opening ceremony as well as contributed two songs to be used. Oh, wow. That's a big, yeah. big taking. And uh, for that, they won the 2012 Q Award for Innovation in Sound and looked up Q Award. Q Awards is the UK's annual music awards run by a music magazine one of Britain's biggest and best publicized music awards. Both uh, Kyle ha- Kyle- Carl Hyde and Rick Smith have done some solo work, released some stuff. Uh, Carl Hyde in 2014 released two uh, collaborative albums with Brian Eno. Are you familiar with that name? Oh, yeah. He He's produced all the U2 albums. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. 2014, they've done an expanded version of the Dove No Bass With My Head with some, you know, remixed, remastered kind of stuff. I think that res actually shows up on that record. Okay. Yeah, it went on the original, but it's on the 2014 version. Uh, They did a new album, 2016, Barbara, Barbara, We Face a Shining Future, which was Grammy nominated for the Best Dance Slash Electronic Album. That's Ravy to the Bush family? I believe so, yes. Barbara Rush? I believe so. Okay. Yep. That's nice. Yeah, why... They continue to work on projects. In 2019, they did uh, Drift, D-R-I-F-T, Drift Series. And what was interesting about this is it was the project, as I understand it from reading about it, is once a week, they would release a song and a video. So basically, they said, hey, once a week for the next year, Fridays or whatever day it is, we're going to make a new song every week, good or bad. Kind of like a podcast almost. Kind of, yeah. But it's like... We're just going to make a new song. We're going to make a video for it. I think they released it through their website. Video was on YouTube. I think you could download it for a short period of time. What was interesting about it is it let them uh, create instinctively. And, and the way they explained it was, you want every day to be a challenge, particularly particularly when it comes to making music. Whether it's good or bad, we'll record with more honesty in this one year than we have in the previous 15. So yeah, they're not messing around. No, this was every week you're going to get a new song. Create, cut, send it out. Create, cut, send it out. Okay. And and I I like the idea of it, but I don't know if I really like the idea because it almost seems like... It keeps you from getting bogged down, though. It keeps you from getting... But you, you get a lot of trash, too. Yeah, but then you can go back a, 10 years later and remix That's it. That's true. That's, That's what true. they're yeah, doing with this. Well, you said they did with this song here, are you yeah. talking about? Well, yeah, yeah, it's constantly evolving. And then in November 2019, they released a seven-CD, one Blu-ray box set of all the stuff. Uh, they said they wanted to, this project, they basically wanted to disrupt the cycle of the traditional do a single, do an album, go on tour every three years kind of thing. So this is kind of the vault. Be creative every week and put content out. And some of it's good, some of it's bad, and go from there. I like it. Do you? Yeah. I was going to ask you, for an artist that you like, would you want a new song every week knowing that you're going to get some trash in there, but you're also going to probably get some cool stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. You good with that? Yeah. I'm good with it, too. I just was curious how you felt about it. Yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd love to hear ACDC do that. Just I mean, just, just, because all right, we're five years in between the albums now, right. maybe more than that, and really the stuff ain't... It's like, oh my God, this is up there with Let There Be Rock or no, right, Highway yeah. to Hell. I yeah. mean, it's definitely not that, so why the hell not? I like the idea of the instant creation of an idea, of that waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning with something in your head and recording it and doing it and putting it out. Yeah. I, I, that song, a, that song it's, Kite? It, you remember that song Kite? Me, it bothers me, though, because <laughs> sometimes that stuff needs to simmer a little bit eh. and get right. Yeah, well, if, I mean, yeah, if you're Pink Floyd, yeah. Yeah, but... I, Thinking about it in terms of cooking, the big thing this the big big thing now here 
at this house is there's that the magnolia people, the Chip and Joanna Gaines, the you, Fixer Upper people. You, you mentioned them quite yeah. a bit. So they've got she's got some show on the Discovery Plus thing that's a cooking thing. Mm-hmm. And for the last three Sundays, I watch an episode, I print off the recipe, and I make it. Whatever it is, you know, we had last night we had. Uh, it was like chicken parmesan and Alfredo noodles right. or something. And it's just, you know, I did for whatever reason I'm digging doing it. It's just, it's kind of, I know my Sunday is going to be the cooking day and I'm going to do all this and it's just fun. But there was, we last week we made some sort of casserole and it was okay when we ate it Sunday night. But then at, after it sat in the refrigerator overnight and got it out Monday, transformed, it was, it was ridiculous good. Even better. And it's just that sitting there soaking it all up. And that's that's kind of how I relate these songs. It's, uh, sometimes you just need to let it simmer and soak up the flavor before you put it out. That's that's what, I, I don't know if it bothers me, but maybe that's what worries me is a song could be good when it could be great. If right, it, but if you it, don't know. Well, no, you don't know. And then, so why mess around? I don't know. I mean, hell, the Ramones didn't do that. I know, but that's that's just that's that's the thinking I have. It's it's what bothers me is if I hear something that is good, great, perfect example of why you don't want to do that. Guns and Roses, use your illusions one and two. Yeah. Oh God, come on. <laughs> November rain. Do you really need to add all these orchestra orchestra vocals and had to up the game, man? No, you don't. You don't. No. I mean, keep it like Appetite for Destruction, man. Just be a punk band. And not this whatever Axel had It wasn't a vision, man. It was more about the videos and it's ridiculous. But everything at that time was about the videos, too. I mean, it's not just them. He's walking through the snow with a pistol and his shorts or, you know (laughs) what I mean? I mean, what the hell is all this about? The Manson shirts and... Yeah. It's just, no, he had too much time on his hands. You just got to get out there and kick it. Being creative and shocking and... Had to live up to the image. Man. It was like Aerosmith did the honking on Bobo. I mean, it wasn't the greatest album, but they did it on the fly. You know, right. just a, a blues I, album. You know, I like the idea of just the instant inspiration. Go, you know, yeah. The idea of to me, this is the electronic version or the disco version of sitting around a room and just jamming, yeah, and just playing something exactly. And just recording. I, I love the idea of that. I love the instant whatever about it but again i stop and think man I, if it's similar to be, do it be better many times over the year yeah, you, just, you will sit back and and just overthink it yeah that's what i do rather than be productive yep exactly. <laughs> uh in closing on my little spiel here about the song uh one thing that i find interesting you see i see people talking about this this genre of music and you know that some people will say these people aren't considered musicians because nobody plays an instrument or nobody knows how to play whatever. Not the most exciting live show. I get that if you go see a DJ, that's not exciting seeing somebody stand up there bopping around, spinning records. You have to have a lot of stuff going on around you. Right. But with with this particular group, I've watched some, like I said, I've watched some live stuff, and they are really kind of playing the machines as instruments. I mean, it's not just hitting play and standing there doing that whole hand wave thing. There's a lot going on. They're they're <laughs> right. participating in the creation of it on the fly. And then there's also a very a cool vi- visual aspect of it as well. So there is video out of them. Oh out yeah, there. yeah, okay. oh yeah. You can I'll check it there's, out. There's there's a a really cool version of that Res Cowgirl medley I was talking about. Okay. That's live somewhere. I don't remember what it was, but I watched a bunch of them. I'll see if I can find it. Maybe that's the one I'll put up for the song this week. But okay, but yeah, it's you know, and, and even the part just like, like the vocal loops. It's a the guy's on a microphone singing it. You know, it's not just a loop that he's hitting play on something. He oh, has, he's actually he's actually got a microphone fifty and times he's singing it. Yeah, over like and over and over and over. Like Rain Man. Yeah, definitely, 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 definitely. That's it, man. That's what I got. Underworld. This album is great because it was the introduction for me, but you know the next couple records are equally as good. I mean, just there's something great on all these records. Even the the most re- the recent stuff off that drift, just listening to it, it's there is a style to them that sounds like everything, but is different enough that it sounds unique to me. Okay, so yeah, and this is this is the shit, man. If this relaxes me, as chaotic as it is, this is the stuff that 
I don't know if it just kind of sucks all the chaos in my head out and lets it go to the beat of the music or what, but this is this is stuff that relaxes me. I love it. As opposed to like grindcore metal. You said that relaxes you too. Yeah. It's yeah, it's yeah, I mean it's 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 the same idea. I think it's it just kind of pulls at it it's different way pulls of getting there. my psyche. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got you. So, there you go. Underworld. Check them out. All right. Good song there, Todd. I'll get into mine here. Now, Todd, I can't I can't keep up with all the recording artists that are passing away. Um, I saw, you know, I just saw it here, I think yesterday, I saw the longtime guitarist for the Animals, Hilton Valentine, passed away. Now, this is, you know, he was in the band, the Animals. Uh, he had the beautiful guitar riff for House of the Rising Sun. Yep. I saw Phil Spector unceremoniously passed away a couple of weeks ago, uh, mainly because of his own doings. You know, he, he murdered somebody. He was in jail. Yeah. But, you know, he's famous producer for that wall of sound there in the 60s. Country Music Hall of Famer, Charlie Pride. Spencer Davis from the Spencer Davis Group gave us that famous hit, Give us, Give Me Some Lovin' Every Day. Right. Uh, we talked about Tony Lewis, uh, lead vocalist of the band, The Outfield. Johnny Nash, I Can See Clearly Now, The Rain Is Gone. Helen Reddy, I'm a Woman, Hear Me Roar. We talked about Eddie Van Halen. Uh, Lee Kurzlick, drummer for Ozzy. You know, we talked about great yep. detail on Barking the Moon. Uh, Ronald Bell, along with you know, who along with his brother Robert Cool Bell, formed Cool in the Gang. That's we talked it. about Frankie Benelli, Quiet Riot. We talked about Pete Way, UFO. Talk about, talked about producer Martin Birch, um, Brian Howe, who took over for Paul Rogers and Bad Company, passed away. Joe Diffie, there's something a woman likes about a pickup man. Yep. Neil Perrick, Kenny Rogers, John Prine. It's just a bad year for death, man, in it rock is- and roll. I will tell you what I've, and I may have mentioned this. I have thought about this before. It's, I think, and it frightens me, but it's, we're kind of moving into that. All these, all these heroes, these musical heroes and icons. I mean, they're all getting up there in age. Yeah. I mean, it's, jeez. Yeah. Even uh, like Chad Stewart of Chad and Jeremy, remember our Labor Day edition. I talked about that, their song and Chad's gone now. Yeah. I mean, they're just every day. It seems like there's somebody dying. Frightening. Yeah, and this is why I bring it up, because I, I decided to go with one I just had to talk about. He was kind of the king of guitar tone, Leslie West. Yes. He's famous for the Bam Mountain, and he's famous for that monster classic cowbell hit, Mississippi Queen. That's the song I'm gonna, I had to go with, just to talk about Leslie a little bit. Comes off the album Climbing, uh, released March 7, 1970, recorded at Record Plant Studios in New York City, same place uh, Aerosmith recorded, No Surprise, which... We talked about uh, right. you know, it, and you know, we also mentioned back then. You know, that's where Paul's boutique was recorded for the Beastie Boys, and it was the last place John Lennon was before he was shot in front of his home in front of Dakota in Central Park, New York. Produced by the band's bass player, co-lead singer Felix Papalardi, written by the band, which consisted of drummer Corky Lang. We talked, you know, guitarist Leslie West, who sings on this track, uh, bassist. Felix Popolardi and the band's keyboard player David Ree. Reached 21 on the Billboard Hot 100 the week of July 11th, 1970. What are you writing down? I'm just making notes. Making <laughs> notes? What's your notes say? You say stuff. I get ideas. I don't want to interrupt you, so I write it down. Okay. All right. Fine. You got to yell at me on, on, the, on air? Well, I, God. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm listening. I'm just well, I'm I'm, participating. You know, you know, I'm like, telling my story and you're over here with a fucking pencil well, you know you say something and inspire something so i scribble something down okay i'm not done writing let me finish <laughs> lord hey just let me know when you're done <laughs> i'm done okay all right like i just I, didn't want to forget it i know i, forget I, it. I understand but it's just kind of distracting when i'm looking <laughs> your way uh reached number 21 like i said on the billboard hot 100 the week of july 11th 1970 beaten out by I want to make it with you by the band Bread. Bread, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, July 11th, 1970. Todd, I warned you. I'm going to ask you, yeah. what do you think the number one song is that week? Do you want a hint? Is it 1970? 1970. We both were not born yet. Oh, I want to make it with you. Mississippi Queen. It's obviously not uh, t- anything off Tapestry. 
Right, yeah. Carol King's not been released yet. Yeah, give me a hint. It was a song written by Randy Newman and was originally recorded by Eric Burden in The Animals. We talked about The Animals. Uh was also the number one song on Casey Kasem's debut episode of America's Top 40. The War? Um, it good for? War is a good guess. It's a, it's a, I'll give you another hint. It's a Three Dog Night song, and it's got that signature opening Wurlitzer electric piano riff. I can't think of any Three Dog Night song to save my life right now. But. A great party song. I remember it was uh, it was featured in an NBA promo commercial a few years back. Yeah, I can't think of anything. That's... Mama told me not Mama, to come. Yeah. It's got there a great go. guitar, a great uh, yeah. electric piano riff on there. Badass. Three yeah. Dog Night. Three Dog Night was ruling charts back in 1970. Couldn't stop them. Couldn't stop them. No, they had so many hits around that time. Yep. Like I said, produced by the band's bass player, Felix Papalardi, who also produced Creams. Question? Yes. When you say Felix Papalardi? Yes. Is Papa in quotes as like a nickname? Is it Felix Lardi and everybody called him Papa? P- or is the last name Papalardi? That is one word, Papalardi. Damn it. P-A-P-P-A-L-A-R-D-I. I really wanted him to be Felix, quote unquote, Papa Lardi. Oh, like that's his nickname. Yo, Papa. Yeah. Yeah. They got you. Nobody like, called him Felix. No, he's, they don't call him Papa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was a producer for Disraeli Gears, uh, Eric Clapton Band Cream. Even Crow wrote my favorite Cream song, Strange Brew, with his wife, Gail. Really? Yeah, great song. I, um, who was it always played it when he came? Buddy Guy would always do a little oh, sample really? of uh, Strange Brew in, the, in his live show. Every right. time, like, I think he'd been here three times. I know Mike brought him probably yeah. every time, but he always played that. Like he talked about Hendrix a little bit, and then he would like say, "Here, I know you're all gonna dig this," and he start playing a little Strange Brew, right? Like one verse of it, you know. Right. It was always Buddy always did a good job with it. The band Cream, which I said consisted of Eric Clapton on guitar, Jack Bruce on bass, Ginger Baker on drums, had classic rock staples like "In the White Room" and uh, and "Sunshine of Your Love" uh, served as inspiration for. Leslie West to form Mountain. In fact, after Mountain went on hiatus in 72, you know, this Mississippi Queen came out in 70, drummer Corky Lang and guitarist Leslie West hooked up with Cream's bass player Jack Bruce to form a supergroup called West Bruce and Lang and released three more albums under that name. Uh, now, Mountain is one of those bands that proves timing is everything. Their fourth gig as a band was at the Woodstock 69 Festival. No shit. Yeah. Fourth gig as a band. Okay. Played day two right between uh, the band's Canned Heat uh, and the Grateful Dead. I think they came on at 9 o'clock. I know there's always that Fogarty always talked about. Creedence, Creedence closed day two out. But, you know, you talk about Mountain, they went on 9. And then their Grateful Dead was the next band. And Grateful Dead just went on and on and on. Right. I think Fogarty said they didn't take the stage till 1 or 2 oh, o'clock shit. in the morning. And everybody was just done yeah. after a long day already. So they did their set and like he yelled out the crowd and there was like one guy way up on top of the hill that you could hear say, we're with you, John. <laughs> it was a great story. Don't we, give up. Yeah. Don't so, give up. So John was just like, all right, I'm just going to play that one guy. That's the only one That's right. awake. So back to where I was here. Now Mountain, yeah, they played. Um, Woodstock, so you know that got him in the rock circuit almost immediately, playing festival after festival and getting to know all the famous musicians of the day. In fact, Jimi Hendrix was the first person to hear the final mix of Mississippi Queen in the studio and fell in love with the band right there. Corky Lang tells a story once where he threw a 30th birthday party for Leslie West at their manager's um, Central Park townhouse. This is around 1975, he said. Mick Jagger. Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones were at the party. Mick told Corky, at midnight, answer the door with Leslie. I got a surprise for you. So around midnight, there's a knock at the door. Corky grabs Leslie and opens the door, and they're standing as May Pang and John Lennon dressed in a Zora outfit saying, did someone order a rock and roll hero? Nice. Yeah, awesome. Corky uh, thinks Mick Jagger reached out to John to come over since he lived so close by at at the time, but but Lennon did thank Corky for singing back on 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 a recent cover he did of the song Stand By Me. So he yeah, he was the Stand By Me that we all know and love. The Benny King. Yeah. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, he did a if there's um there's a movie about there's a documentary about the way they show him singing that song that came out just after he died. It was pretty cool. 
but yeah, Corky sung backup. So, I mean, they knew everybody. Right. And they, they, touring was not an issue because they made every show better for the open, for the main act. At that party, uh, Corky mentioned Leslie soon gathered everybody, John, May Pang, Mick Jagger, and they went to the bathroom to burn a fat one as if no one knew what they were doing. Can you oh, imagine yeah. hanging out in that bathroom yeah, no with all sure. those characters in there? We talked about the true story behind the cowbell you hear in Blue Oyster Colts, Don't Fear the Reaper, back in October around Halloween time last year. Yep. Well, let's talk about the power of the cowbell of Mississippi Queen, Todd. Um, now, Felix uh, Papa, we'll just call him Papa. <laughs> now, Papa was a perfectionist. He, uh, he was the only one in the band classically trained. He studied classical music at the University of Michigan and got his foot in the door as a producer, becoming an arranger at Electra Records, working with folk act folk acts like uh, the Queen of Folk, Joan Baez and the Youngbloods, who their biggest hit was, you know, come on people now, smile on your brother, everybody yep. get together and love one another right now. Uh, Papa insisted on numerous takes of Mississippi Queen. Now, the drummer Corky Lang, uh, growing tired of doing the same thing over and over and over, just started using the cowbell to count off the, count off the song. Well, Papa loved it so much that he left it in the mix, creating the song's recognizable intro. God knows what take that was. Again. He just started bringing cowbell into it. Sometimes you got to let it simmer. <clears throat> in fact, years later, <laughs> in 1986, they were out supporting Deep Purple on a European tour. I might have been the House of Blue Light album, I think, the second reunion album they did with uh, Richie Blackmore and Ian Gillen. Um, out supporting them, Leslie came up with the idea of getting the biggest cowbell they could find for the tour. So he got Corky on that project and he called LP, which is a percussion company and requested this cowbell. Now when Corky reached them, they were very excited to hear from him because, um, after the release of Mississippi Queen, they sold more cowbells than they could produce. Really? The cowbell demand was through the roof after that song. So as a thank you to mountain, they made the cowbell he demanded. It was a cowbell. Its size was seven feet high and four foot wide. I, I can only guess it was a stage prop for the seven set. Seven foot high, four foot wide. Yeah, so it's a foot taller than me. Yeah. And, well, four and foot wide. Four foot, yeah, I mean, that's a monster cowbell. I can't imagine. It, it could have only been a stage prop. I don't know how you can keep a four four going on from your drum riser with a beast like that. I wonder where that thing lives now. He, I think the deal was he was supposed to return it. But he didn't. He he knows exactly where it's at, but he's not going to say. Right. And the funny thing was, in my head, I'm envisioning like a somebody's pro, you know vast property, and there's like a kind of a Liberty Bell replication out in the middle. Yeah. Of some field with like a stone, like a stone monument, and that thing that cowboys is hanging there. Yeah. Well, or what's, what's those monuments have been popping up? Um, oh, the monolith monolith. Yeah. 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 That'd be badass, man. That gigantic cowbell shows up in the desert and then disappears after three days. Well, that's no joke for cowbell. That is no joke. That's, yeah. That's the man. Yeah. But the funny thing was, is that the LP company made it in black and in Europe, they, there are no black cowbells. Apparently so when they brought that out, that the whole crowd was confused they didn't know what the hell is that a right, fighter yeah. jet or part of a fighter jet or richie blackmore was the one that had to point out to them listen they don't it, there's only gold cowbells in europe yeah so they had to like you know on their day off or whatever before a show they had to find as much gold paint spray yeah, paint as they could and paint it oh, so people shit. understood it was a gigantic cowbell the seven foot tall cowbell i thought that was pretty funny that, that's awesome it, re- it reminds me of like Stonehenge and Spinal Tap. Right. I mean, it's like one of those props that, yeah, you know, you wonder if, if there was an error at some point, you know. It was a good idea, but it didn't exactly execute the way yeah, you yeah, were yeah. hoping. Like when Derek was stuck inside his alien pod and he right. couldn't get out. <laughs> and the stage jam was trying to pry it open. Oh, he finally got out at the end of the song. It was, uh, it was, yeah. He had to climb back in. Yeah, it didn't quite work out the, uh, the way they thought, but they got it fixed and. It was a success after that. There you go. And what I dig about the song, um, of course, the over-the-top incredible guitars and the cowbell, but the lyrics are a good warning for young men out there courting women. You know, it was Courtney, Lang, Court, 
Corky Lang that came up with the lyrics. Um, one night he was playing a gig with his own band. Um, energy, I think they were called energy. It was a local kind of a local band. Um, playing down at the holiday Inn. uh, at the beach club in his hometown in Nantucket, which is the Island just off of, uh, outside of Boston, like a vacation Island. Right. A buddy, his showed up to the party with this beautiful woman, the Southern bell. He couldn't keep his eyes off of, uh, all he knew was her name was Molly. And he started, you know, coming up with these lyrics on the spot, start, you know, yelling out Mississippi queen. Do you know what I mean? And getting her attention. She was smiling, smiling back as she was dancing the night away. So, you know, Corky had it idea for, you know, a hit song on his hands. And a few months later, you know, the song came in the bean, but, um, but anyway, Corky and the band expanded on that idea that the lady of the song was from Pittsburgh. Cause that's the only town they knew. In Mississippi, off the top of their head. Okay. That's why you hear Vicksburg in the song. <clears throat> and this lady asked a man to be of a story to be her man. And next thing you know, he's buying her dresses and and everything to keep her pretty all along, looking at his buddies who are getting paid and keeping their money for themselves while he was losing his. Now, a good lesson, lesson for men out there. Don't get invested in a relationship unless you're willing to play that role of uh, protector and provider. You know, I saw something interesting on Facebook the other day. Uh, I follow this page called How to Dad, and for some reason I don't know why this was on here. How but to Dad? How to Dad? Okay. I, yeah, I, I get advice. I take advice wherever I can find it. <laughs> you know, especially having a two-year-old. You know, uh, yeah, I could always do better. Right. And it was there was a poll they put on there. It said, "Ladies, you have five dollars to build your ideal man." And there's um, ten options, and some cost three dollars some cost a dollar two dollars you had five dollars and you had to like you had to mix your, and match max you, your five dollars you, you out to five bucks yeah okay so the three dollar items yes good looking faithful and wealthy okay the three dollar two dollar items great body romantic great in bed and the dollar items funny smart no kids and tall those are your options Okay. Yeah, five dollars. So you know there was oh, close to a thousand responses to this, and it seemed like the the most common combination was the, of the three dollars was the faithful, sure, uh, over wealthy and good looking, and they and they went right to the one dollars, which funny smart. So funny smart and faithful. And what were the two dollar options again? Great body, romantic, and great in bed. Okay. Yeah. The ladies that picked the wealthy picked, uh, they spent their last two dollars on great in bed. Wow. Yeah, they didn't care about faithful. That's interesting. But you couldn't pick faithful and wealthy both because that's six dollars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, I thought what was interesting was no one, hardly anybody picked good looking or romantic, or I'm sorry, great body. Good looking and great body were the least I saw on that list. Dad bods are hot these days, man. Dad bods are hot these days. Yeah. That's a quote of the week. Yeah, right, we need to start that out in this episode. But just out of curiosity, so which ones? How did you spend your five dollars? Well, I wouldn't build an ideal man myself. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, but I, yeah, I thought that was interesting because you know Mississippi Queen obviously is, I think a six, uh, you know, wealthy, great in bed. I know what you mean. She would be spending her five dollars there. Gotcha. I don't think she, I don't know if she cares about the faithful part, but. Uh, anyway, I wanted to, you know, give a little, um, you know, tribute to Leslie West there. He was a huge influence of Eddie Van Halen. He's one of those, he's one of those guitar player, guitar players. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about tone with Leslie West. Fantastic tone. You know, I listened to that, the whole album that had uh, Mississippi Queen on it and half the vocals are Leslie, half are Papa, as we're calling him, Felix, Papa, Papa Lardy. And Papa stuff is kind of like. A little hippie-ish, a little okay. in the prog, early prog rock, but and Leslie's is more classic rock, like you hear of Mississippi Queen, timeless and, sound. And that's my scribble when you were scolding me for scribbling down notes. That's what I was writing down. That I didn't want to forget. It is that song to me is the the essential. It is a badass guitar tone. It is a badass vocal. I mean, it's just yeah. It sounds right. Yeah. It's timeless. It's just it's just a great sounding tone of everything. It's just a great, great song. Well, even in Felix's, you know, hippie trip songs, and when when uh, Leslie plays a lead, I mean, it just 
just to hear his lead guitar on top of all that was just it just it steals the show. Now, am I remembering this right? Have you gone through all your notes? Are you done? Yeah. Okay. It seems like man, like ten, fifteen years ago, maybe he had like Leslie West had some trouble diabetes and maybe lost a leg or something. He did lose a leg. Okay. Yeah. But he was still, in a wheelchair was, in the end but of his was life. Still playing shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he came out just after his surgery. Uh, he was on the Howard Stern show. Yeah. In fact, Howard was reaching out to him while he was recovering. Oh, know? really? Yeah, him and Howard were pretty tied for a lot. I remember the first time I ever saw Howard Stern was on MTV's, I don't know if it was Headbangers Ball, but a show like that. Yeah. And he was on there with Leslie West and these two dancing girls, you know, right. very little on. He's like, He was like telling, okay, Leslie, this is like 86. I think that's when they came out with that the album they were touring with deep purple um he's like leslie play mountain queen or something i'm gonna, I'm gonna get it on with these two girls here while you're playing <laughs> <laughs> just being howard stern right you know? yeah uh, well, um yeah and he had a nice tribute for him whenever uh leslie passed so it was pretty cool to watch yeah well mississippi queen is one of those songs that sticks in my head and it's funny because you told me you were doing that and i had this I had this memory pop up not too long ago, and you t- you told me a little while back you were going to eventually do the song, but it popped up in my memory, so I took a picture of it, and it's from uh, January twenty third, two thousand thirteen. January twenty third, two thousand thirteen. Okay, yep. all right. It says so. From time to time, I make a CD of songs that the boys like. I just keep adding songs, and we make a list of them as stuff comes out. The big addition this time around was Mountain Mississippi Queen. I couldn't have been more happy when it was the first song requested to be played. So this goes back to picking them up from school or whatever, and they'd get in the car. What do you guys want to listen to? And this particular edition of the song, and it came from some show they watched called The Regular Show, and there was some hallucinogenic hot sauce Episode. scene yeah. where Mississippi Queen was playing in the background, and they were hooked. And it was, oh, I really? mean, for, for weeks it was, Get in the car. What do you guys want to listen to? Mississippi Queen. Wow. And, and I mean, they were in it. How old were they at the time? Uh, eight years ago, they would have been nine. About nine. Eight or nine. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, Mississippi Queen always kind of holds a special place because not only is it a badass song, but it's just a great memory of my kids. And oh, cool. Kind of that time of any time. And it was, you know, it had to be a song that meant something. We weren't just throwing stuff on there. It was, it was something that was a heavy yeah, the connection heavily requested to. deal. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, that's Mississippi Queen will always be one of those songs for me that reminds me of my little punk ass boys being How the Dad moment. Yeah. My had a dad moment. Yep. Yeah. Great song to dad with. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. So. All right on. That's cool. my report. Nice. Mississippi Queen. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything in closing? Yeah, I I just need some names from my um you know, my trance music uh, ice cream uh, right. truck. Please send uh, in suggestions. I need names for the flavors of my ice cream. Yep. Yep. Every playlist tells a story at gmail.com. Tell Jimmy what uh, what he should name these flavors. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh, any contribution helps. Get the music picked out. We just need to get the menu board together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We need to make it themed correctly. That's right. That's right. All right, well, uh, I haven't said it in a while, but it's something that, for whatever reason, this week kind of popped into my head. So I'm going to say this week, if you don't do anything else, just love more than you hate. I still love that quote. I still think it's applicable. Always applicable. Always applicable. So that's, that's what I got this week. So uh, until next week.